This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be here to talk about important elements of life, important ideas in life, important lessons in life, lessons that teach us who we are, what we are, what our job upon this earth is, what we have to do, what we have to accomplish, what God expects from us, what God wants from us, and in fact what we have to do on a daily basis, not only in terms of fulfilling the commandments and doing everything right, but to understand a purpose, to understand a cause. God put us on this world for a very real reason. It's not, God forbid, accidental. We're not here simply because we're here. We're here because we have to do something which is incredibly important in terms of completing God's creation, in terms of bringing about a sense of purpose within this creation. We look at the world and we often think to ourselves, what a crazy world, what a chaotic world, a world that seems to make no sense. It goes along and suddenly it falls apart. And from time to time we wonder, we wonder what it's really all about. And this is why we turn to the Torah. We turn to the Torah and we try to somehow glean from it every single week. Every single day, we try to glean from it some message, some insight, some lesson that enables us to understand things correctly, the world correctly, and what our purpose is all about. That it's not a world of chaos, it's a world of purpose. And while it appears to be chaotic, and in many instances it is, it is our duty, it's our responsibility to somehow do those things that change things. And this is why, particularly in these weeks when we continue the journey with the patriarchs, beginning with Abraham and then Isaac and now Yaakov. They are the fathers, and the fathers are not only fathers because they brought the Jewish people into being, but it is the actions of the father that somehow has to be emulated by the children. We look to the story of Jacob. We try to understand what, in fact, is taking place. We try to understand what his journey is all about, what his challenges are all about. We try to understand how he encounters the world how he takes the world, how he functions in the world, how he functions within his own family, how he deals with issues, particularly Yaakov, more so than the other patriarchs, because Yaakov, as we mentioned last week at length, is Pir but he is the chosen of the three forefathers. He is the chosen of the patriarchs, and this is why somehow his story becomes, in a sense, well, perhaps a bit more important, because after all, if in fact he is the chosen, it brings out the chosenness within each and every one of us. Yes, each and every one of us is chosen. God gave each and every one of us a tremendous, tremendous privilege, a tremendous privilege of doing that which has to be done in this world, something which is unique, something which is special. And this is why we look for guidance to the Torah, and of course, Yaakov's story, Yaakov's great honesty, his great journey tells us much, and it is full of drama. From the time we meet Yaakov, from the moment that he's born, this incredible encounter and battle with his brother Esau, representing two separate worlds altogether. Yaakov is Yoshev Ahalim, Yaakov is the one who is dedicated to a life of Torah study, a life of ethical, moral behavior, a life of responsibility, a life of fulfilling God's will upon this world, and in fact completing God's purpose and creation. This is what Yaakov is all about. Yaakov, in a sense, is totally dedicated to that which his grandfather Abraham 
was and his father Isaac to bring holiness into the world, to uplift the physical and material, and to transform the physical and material into something which is extraordinary, something which is special, something which makes forever a sense of good. But from the moment we encounter Yaakov, his life is one continuous battle. If it's not one thing, it's the other. If it's not his brother Asaph, then he has to deal with Lavan, his father-in-law, a con man, a trickster, who tries to outsmart him and steal whatever he has. Yaakov has to deal with all these issues constantly. And as we approach this week, as we approach this week's Parsha, the Parsha of Vayishlach, what we face is Yaakov's return to his father and mother's home. And along the way, he has to encounter his brother Esau. And is Esau still furious? Is Esau still determined to destroy Yaakov? Don't forget, when Yaakov left his home 20 years, well, more than 20 years, probably 34 years earlier, Esau had vowed to kill him because he blamed Yaakov for taking the blessings of Isaac. But even Isaac finally admits that it's Yaakov who is the genuine, authentic recipient of the blessings, and so he shall be blessed, he says, because Yitzchak realizes he erred, he made a mistake by thinking, by giving the blessings to Esau, he could somehow change the nature, behavior of Esau into something which is better. And it wasn't a simple mistake. It's because he recognized the potential of Esau. And we've spoken about that at length over the past week and the last few years. We speak about the potential of Esau. Essentially, he has incredible strength, incredible gifts. He is a man who has been given powerful spiritual energy, powerful spiritual strength. But somehow he cannot translate that dimension of energy into a practical ethical life. And this is why his life is one of violence. He is a hunter in every sense of the word. He is a hunter with his mouth. He is a hunter with his bow and arrow, with his sword, with his spear. He is a person who is dedicated to violence in every sense of the word. He believes in the power of brute strength. The one who is strong, this is the one who will survive. The one who is strong, powerful, physically powerful. He is the one who will lead. He is the one who in fact will be looked up to as the correct as the correct champion of the world. Aesop is completely, completely lost in a world of physical, material excesses, a world of hedonistic behavior. And this is where he draws his strength from. He somehow doesn't allow that inner spiritual power that he has as a child of Yitzchak and a child of Rivka, of Isaac and Rebekah. But for some reason, he blocks that out and he wishes to live a life which is completely contrary to that which he saw in his parents' home and in fact completely contrary to the will of God. And it's these two individuals, Yaakov and Esau, who are going to meet, who are going to have this great encounter. Will Esau behave correctly? Will Esau accept his brother? Will Esau be kind and gentle? Or will Esau, in a sense, be violent and angry? And this is how this Parsha begins, where Yaakov sends messengers with gifts to his brother, something which is special, something which is extraordinary. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about Jacob. 
talking about this incredible encounter that's about to take place. He is returning after many years to his parents' home, to the house of Yitzchak and Rivka, and he has to, along the way, meet his brother. Will his brother still be in a state of absolute anger and violent behavior, or will he, in fact, be friendly toward Yaakov? And Yaakov sends messengers in order to somehow assess the situation, what, in fact, is taking place, and he makes incredible overtures. He sends gifts, etc., etc. And Yaakov sends a message to Esau. He says, I have lived with Lavan, im Lavan Garti, I have lived with Lavan, and I have delayed my return home until this time. And Rashi, quoting the great commentaries, says that when Yaakov said, I have lived, Garti, I have lived with Lavan, he says Garti is the same letters as the word Taryag, which refers to the 613 commandments. He says, even though I have lived with Lavan in a very immoral, unethical society for many years, nonetheless, I have maintained and retained my total loyalty to God and his commandments, my ethical and moral way of life. I was not influenced by that which Lavan's society tried to seduce me with, but I have raised a family. I have been there for many years, but my identity is intact. My Jewishness is intact. What's this all about? How is he going to impress Aesop with such remarks? Aesop has no respect for Tayyag Mitzvahs. Aesop has no desire to have any part of that type of relationship with God. As mentioned before, Aesop is an individual who is dedicated to a world and life of violence, of brute strength, of power in its most raw state, and therefore has no respect for God or God's law. So when Yaakov sends him a message that I have lived with Laban, but I have continued to fulfill my absolute obligation to God and his commandments, what type of message is Yaakov sending, and why does he send this type of message? And as mentioned before, Yaakov and Esau represent two different dimensions of the world. In fact, two separate worlds, perhaps two universes. Yaakov represents that which is correct and proper. Yaakov represents that which is the will of God. Yaakov represents that which God wants in this world. What does Esau represent? He represents the superficiality of materialism, of physical life, the power, the strength, whatever it is, the physical pleasure of life is that which he represents. And this is an age-old conflict, the conflict of those who are dedicated to holiness and those who are dedicated to, well, a life of materialism. Now, Esau understands full well who Yaakov is. And not only does he understand full well who Yaakov is, but he says to Yaakov in one way or another, we live in two separate worlds. You live in yours, and I live in mine. You live in your isolated holiness. You live in your religious neighborhood. You live in your frum ghetto. Live there, raise your children there, do whatever you want over there. Just don't enter my world. My world is a different type of a world. It's secular in the fullest sense of the word. Don't invade my territory. Don't come with your garb, with your attitude, with your clothes, with your beard, with your kippah, with your hat, into my life, into my space. You have your world and I have my world. And that's the only way we can coexist if we agree 
to understand that there are two worlds and we respect the right of each other to live in their own worlds. Yaakov has a different view altogether. Yaakov understands that this type of world, the world that is divided into two very distinct and clear dimensions of holy and profane, this type of world cannot survive. This is not the purpose of God's world because this world will forever be a place of conflict, a place of chaos, if in fact these two separate entities are always at each other's borders. And Yaakov believes that ultimately, and this in fact is the plan of God, creation. God told us that we can perfect creation. God told us that we can behave in a certain way that will transform the physical into something which is higher, into something which is greater. God told us that each and every one of us has the incredible capacity, the ability to live his physical life and to elevate it to a level of goodness, of holiness, of correctness, a level that fulfills the purpose of our creation. And Yaakov understands that his great duty is not only to somehow coexist with Esau on separate borders and separate areas, and the two shall never meet. Yaakov understands fully that ultimately his duty is that somehow he has to impress upon Esau the validity of his life, of Yaakov's life, that this in fact is what God wants. This in fact is the key to true survival. What Esau believes in, the survival of the fittest, the power, the strength, this is something which comes and goes. Yaakov tries to impress upon Esau that you have to understand if you will be dedicated to that type of life, a life of violence, a life of materialism, a life of hedonism, it will come and go. It will not last. Not only that, but you will be a huge deterrent to the fulfillment of God's purpose and creation because you will forever fight for maintaining an area of God's creation where God's holiness can not enter. And therefore, Jacob understands that ultimately, ultimately the purpose of God's creation will only come about when in fact he and Esau not only come to terms to allow each other to exist, some sort of, well, peaceful coexistence, but when he in fact influences Esau to change his negative ways. He influences Esau to somehow recognize the validity of God's truth in the world. But the argument of Esau is, don't be foolish, don't be naive, Yaakov. You live in splendid isolation. You live some sort of dream life. You don't understand the reality of the world. The world is a physical place. It's a harsh place. It's a violent place. Without strength, without whatever it is, without power, without being violent and dishonest, you cannot exist in this world. This world is an ugly place. It's not for weak people. The argument of Aesop is, yes, in a sense, I understand what you're talking about, but it has no place in this physical world. If you want to live 
behind your own walls will do what you want. But if you want to live in this physical world, you're going to have to pay the price of accepting the social standards of this world. And the social standards of this world is based upon violence and corruption and all that is negative because that's the reality. And if, in fact, you're not prepared to stand with that reality, you will be consumed by that reality. If you don't exercise strength and power, you will be consumed by the strength and power of others. This is the law of the jungle. We've heard it again and again and again. So what's the message that Yaakov sends Asaph? He knows who Asaph is. He understands the philosophy and mentality of Asaph. What does he say to him? He says to him, Asaph, understand that what you're saying is wrong. And not only because I have theological arguments that can somehow prove what I'm saying is right. It's not because I have the faith to somehow say that what I am saying is correct. I have physical proof. I am a witness that what I am saying is correct because I lived with Lavan for 20 years in a society that was completely corrupt, made up of thieves and gangsters and dishonest human beings. And I lived a life of ethical correctness. I was involved in the world. I was in charge of the finances of Lovin's home and business. I am the one who made him wealthy. And how did I do that? Was I deceitful? Was I dishonest? Was I corrupt? Did I give in to the negative mores of that society? Or did I stand by why I believe in the law of God, the law of correctness, the law of ethical behavior in every sense of the word? He says, Asaph, you are wrong because I have lived in that world that you describe, in that violent, angry jungle. I was there. And yet, I maintained my identity. I did not give in to any type of seduction that would draw me in to the craziness of the world, to the destructive behavior of this world. I retained and maintained my sense of correctness by dealing properly in all that I did in the world of love. And this is the message that Yaakov sends to Esau. He says, Esau, listen to me. It's not physical power and might and strength that are going to protect you. That's not your real wealth. Understand what I'm saying to you is that ultimately if you want to be all that you can be, all that our father Yitzchak saw in you, then listen to what I'm saying because I can show you, I can prove to you through actual physical witness that what I'm saying is correct because I went through that experience. And not only me, but my entire family. I raised my children there. My wives, my children, they all grew up in that society, and they all followed my lesson. They all followed that which I taught them. It's not only me who lives in splendid isolation. It is my family, myself, we are living proof that you can live in this physical world, a world that appears to be violent and angry and corrupt, but a world that can be tamed through correct behavior as well. My family and I are living proof of it. And he knows if somehow he is able to deliver that message 
to the essence of Esav. Esav will listen, and Esav will respond positively, and they could not only coexist, but they can work together to make this world a godly place. Because Yaakov knows that even though his father Yitzchak may have made some sort of mistake by thinking that Esau should be given the blessings because potentially he was great, but ultimately recognized that he was not. Nonetheless, he respects fully and understands fully that that Yitzchak saw within Esau tremendous, tremendous potential. That deep within his core, deep within his essence, there was a powerful, strong, holy dimension of energy that was bursting to get out but the behavior of Esau stopped that. So Yaakov knows that within the core, within the essence, even Esau has the ability, but he has to make that decision. It's not something which is going to happen automatically. It's not as if somehow that incredible, mighty surge of spiritual energy that Esau has within him will suddenly flow through every aspect of his behavior. No. Esau has to open, open the gates in order to allow for that flow of holiness to enter into his life. And the only way Esau will do so is if Esau's mind and heart begin to feel and understand that what Yaakov is saying is correct. That will bring about transformation and change. It will open the gates that up till now have not allowed for that flow of holy energy into the life of Esau. And this is the great encounter. This is the great moment. This is the great moment that Yaakov thinks to himself, is this going to be the moment? Because Yaakov knows the ultimate fulfillment of God's world is when the spiritual and the physical, when the material and the spiritual merge together, that the spiritual understands that within the physical there are great treasures of holiness and the physical understands that the only way to reveal and to release those incredible treasures is by allowing and inviting the spiritual into that world. And Yaakov knows this is a pivotal moment in creation because if in fact Esau will understand and accept that which Yaakov is saying, That's the moment of Mashiach. That's the moment of ultimate, ultimate purpose, where God's ultimate purpose in creation will be fulfilled. Will it happen? And this is why Yaakov sends all sorts of messages to Esau, messages as gifts that we'll talk about soon, arguments that will talk about the validity of living an ethical, correct life in a physical world sends all sorts of indications to Esau. If we come together now, this is the great moment since the time of creation. This is the great moment of redemption. This is the great moment of revelation. This is the great messianic moment. Will it happen? Will it happen? And it can only happen as if you and I understand that we have to work together. You and I work for common cause, for common purpose, not only to merely coexist and live at peace with each other, but to work together in the fulfillment of God's creation. More of that soon.
This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about this incredible moment, this encounter between Yaakov and Esav. Will, in fact, will it take place in a type of atmosphere that will result in the fulfillment of God's creation of this world? Yaakov understands this is a pivotal moment, and therefore he does whatever he can in order to somehow send this message to Esav. Esav, listen to me. Esav, try and understand that what I am saying is correct. Try and understand that both you and I, all of creation, will benefit enormously if, in fact, we, you and I, do the right thing at this moment. But the messengers come back, the angels come back, and they tell Yaakov, we have seen your brother Esau, and he is marching toward us with 400 armed men. It would appear, says, thinks Yaakov, and understands that Esau is not yet ready to somehow acquiesce, to somehow give in to the message of Yaakov. And Esau is determined to continue in his violent and negative way. He comes with an army. He comes to destroy Yaakov. Yaakov is terribly distraught. Distraught not only because he understands that he and his family may suffer, or in the words of Yaakov himself, he is distraught not only because he or his family, God forbid, might be killed, but that he would be forced to kill others, something which he finds absolutely abhorrent. But nonetheless, Yaakov understands that the moment hasn't come. And even though a short while later, we know the famous story of Yaakov wrestling with the angel of Esau. Yaakov thinks to himself, perhaps Esau won't listen, won't somehow accept reason, won't understand what in fact I am offering him over here. But his angel will. Yaakov says, perhaps if I can communicate directly with the higher level of Esau, Esau in a spiritual state, somehow that will influence his thinking and his behavior here below. But even that, even that remains in a situation of great doubt. Yaakov understands that the moment has not yet come. Yaakov is deeply sad because he felt that this, in fact, was a ripe moment for the absolute, well, fulfillment of God's creation. But nonetheless, Esau is not ready to accept that. So Yaakov is distressed because he knows the journey has not ended. The journey will continue, not only with him, but the journey will continue with his children through all sorts of challenges and trials throughout history, as in fact the story of Jewish life developed over the last thousands of years. This is the story of each and every one of us going and encountering something and trying to somehow influence that environment, that individual, with that which is the will of God, correct Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't listen. But nonetheless, we know that despite the fact that there is still much chaos and confusion in this world, there are still those who are tragically dedicated to corruption, to violence, to all sorts of terror, to all sorts of behavior, which brings about negativity and strife and conflict. Nonetheless, we have the strength and faith to know that we are still doing an enormously important job by entering into the world and dealing with the world correctly. We don't hide away. We don't live in our splendid isolation. We get involved in the world. We get involved 
<coughs> sorry, in the physical world that we know we are obliged to change. Ultimately, of course, we fully accept and believe that God created this world in a particular sort of way. It is a world of, well, non-clarity. As our sages tell us time and again, the very word olam comes from helem, which means hidden is distortion. We don't see truth. We don't see clarity. We don't see the presence of God. We see a physical world, a world that is full of temptation, a world that is full of all sorts of elements, a world that seems to somehow justify the philosophy and behavior of the ace of personality and mentality, one of violence, one of strength, and one of power. But as children of Jacob, we know that's an illusion. That is something which is simply not true. It appears that way, but in actual fact, within the essence, there is a powerhouse of goodness, of greatness, of spirituality, of holiness. And we have to somehow behave in a way that continues to prove that, yes, we can live in the physical world and not to be deterred by the physical dimensions of the world, but to live a life of goodness, of holiness, a proper life, a life that follows the instructions of God, the instructions of Torah, a life that somehow reflects the genuine holiness of our neshama, of our soul. And this is what this parsha is all about. This parsha was, well, on the one hand, a moment of huge anticipation. Will, in fact, Esau accept the overtures of Yaakov and together bring about the fulfillment of God's creation? Tragically, not and this is something which saddens Yaakov because his real, he realizes his children will have to go through all sorts of experiences which will be extremely challenging from time to time, spiritually challenging, physically challenging, as we have seen the story of the Jewish people. Yaakov knows that this journey is not over, and it's only through the behavior of his children, the correct behavior of his children, that somehow... The purpose of ultimate redemption can, in fact, take place, the fulfillment of God's creation. And we sit back and we think to ourselves, we are those individuals who've been charged with this incredible duty of continuing that particular journey. We live in a physical world. We don't live in a spiritual world. We live in a world that is often dark, often angry, often very, very confusing. We live in a world that sometimes things that are presented to us are elements that somehow bring out tremendous difficulties difficulty in our lives, sometimes even outright pain. But this is where our faith, this is where our story of Jacob takes place. This is why we listen to this story particularly, because we know that despite whatever challenges might be out there and are out there, we will not only survive, but we will thrive. We will continue step by step to change this crazy world. And this is why when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the story carefully. There are all sorts of elements in the story. The gifts that Yaakov sends Esau, the preparations that he makes, the conversation that he has with Esau, how at the very last moment Esau does have a degree of compassion, perhaps even true love for his brother. We understand what, in fact, that discussion is, what, in fact, that debate is. 
We listen carefully, we watch carefully to the story of Yaakov returning all alone across the river where he has to encounter and does encounter the angel of Esau and wrestles with him till the morning star comes. We listen carefully to the story of Yaakov's return, how he comes back to his father's home. We listen carefully to a story of incredible challenge, a story of incredible heroism, a story of incredible truth, a story that, in fact, is our story. And this is why when we listen to the story tomorrow in Shul, we listen carefully. We listen with both ears. We listen carefully because we know that every single element of this story has something to teach us and tell us about how to live our own life. Because each and every one of us has challenges. Each and every one of us must encounter difficulty from time to time. And we have to know how to cope, how to deal with it, how to live a life of goodness despite all those things. So when you listen to the story, listen carefully, and take those lessons to heart. Good job.